1. Arthur is no fit king. Uther's bastard, Merlin's pet. He is low-born and a fool. He is wanton and petty and cruel. A glutton and a drunkard, he lacks all civilized graces. In short, he is a sullen, ignorant brute. All these things and more, men say of Arthur, let them. When all the words are spoken and the arguments fall exhausted into silence, the single fact remains, we would follow Arthur to the very gates of hell and beyond if he asked it, and that is the solitary truth. Show me another who can claim such loyalty. Kimbrogi, he calls us, companions of the heart, fellow countrymen. Kimbrogi, we are his strong arm, his shield and spear, his blade and helm. We are the blood in his veins, the hard sinew of his flesh, the bone beneath the skin. We are the breath in his lungs, the clear light in his eyes, and the song rising to his lips. We are the meat and drink at his board. Kimbrogi, we are earth and sky to him, and Arthur is all these things to us and more. Ponder this, think long on it. Only then, perhaps, will you begin to understand the tale I shall tell you. How not? Who? Besides, the Emrys himself knows as much as I. Though I'm no bard, I am worthy, for I know Arthur as few others do. We are much alike, after all. We are both sons of uncertain birth, both princes unacknowledged by our fathers, both forced to live our lives apart from clan and kin. My father was Belin, Lord of Cleoness. My mother was a serving woman in the king's house, I learned early that I would receive nothing from my father's hand and must make my own way in the world. I was little more than a boy when Myrthen agreed to make me his steward, but I've regretted not one day, even through those long years of his madness. When I searched the hidden ways of wide Caliton alone, I desired nothing but to be once more what I had been, servant and companion to Myrthen Amaris, chief bard in the island of the mighty. I, Pathleus, Prince of Leoness, will tell all as I have seen it. And I have seen much indeed. Are you certain, Myrthen? Arthur whispers anxiously. Everyone is watching. What if it will not work? It will, as you say, work. Just do as I have told you. Arthur nods grimly and steps up to the great keystone where the sword stands, its naked blade stuck fast in the heart of the stone. The yard is mostly empty now, those going into Urbanus's mass have done so. It is cold, the day dwindling towards dusk. A few small snowflakes drift out of the darkening sky to fall on the flagged stone pavement at our feet. Our breath hangs in clouds above our heads. It is the eve of the Christ Mass, and the lords of Britain have come to Londinium to hold council, as they do nearly every year, to essay who among them might become high king. Fifteen years have come and gone since the sword was first placed there. Now the once fine steel is rusted, the stone weathered and stained. But the eagle-carved amethyst in the hill still glows, its imperial fire undiminished. Max and Wledig's sword it is, the sword of Britain. Emperor Maximus once owned the sword, and Constantine, Constans, Aurelius, and Uther after him, each in his turn high king of Britain. 
Yes. Fifteen years have come and gone since that first council. Fifteen years of darkness and unceasing strife, of dissent, disappointment, and defeat. Fifteen years in which the Sykesens have grown strong once more. Fifteen years for a boy to grow to manhood. A young man now, he stands, grim-faced, gazing at the sword thrust deep into the stone, hesitant, uncertain. Take it, Arthur, Merlin tells him. It is your right. Arthur reaches slowly for the bronze hilt. His hand shakes, cold, fear. A little of both, perhaps. He grasps the hilt and glances at Merlin, who nods silently. He drops his eyes and draws a breath, taking courage, stealing himself for whatever will happen. Arthur's fingers tighten on the silver-braided hilt.